0: to episode 25 of the 1099 for the week of january 18th 2016 this is the first podcast of 2016 uh we took a couple of weeks off after our game of the year top 10 extravaganza i have been away in pennsylvania where for a solid week it was like eight degrees and i immediately feel like i made a mistake driving over there uh, but we're back it's now warm in jacksonville and i want to start the off with the bang and we are totally doing that because I'm joined by Chris Johnston who is the senior games producer at Adult Swim as well as the co-host of Player One Podcast. So Chris, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Uh when I started to talk to more developers and publishers and people at different studios, one of the main companies I had in mind was Adult Swim because back a few years ago, I had always associated Adult Swim games with flash games and that's not a knock at all. To be honest, when I was in college, I played So much robot unicorn attack where we would, uh, (laughs) me and my friends in like the dorm would just have these competitions every single week to see who get the highest score. And I probably missed a couple of classes because I'm like, no, I'm doing this. This needs to happen now. So not a knock at all, but I really feel like the scale and scope of what you guys have been doing just seems bigger now. So that's my perspective. But from your perspective, how much has the company grown since you first started working there?
1: A lot, <laughs> a, a whole lot. Um, yeah, when I when I started, they actually didn't have a games producer before. It was kind of like a, an intern that uh, had kind of grown into the games role, and uh, they didn't have like a specific games producer position. Um, but when that guy left, I was friends with him, and he asked if if uh, I'd be interested in his job. <laughs> and the new title would be Games Producer instead of... Well, I guess it sort of was Interim Games Producer. He was kind of a producer in general. And I was like, oh, definitely. Like, hell yeah. I love Adult Swim. I love the shows. Uh, I'm interested. Yes, absolutely. And so I was employee number one of uh, the games portion really. Of Adult Swim. Wow. Yeah. Um, the VP... Our VP, Jeff Olson, he directed the website at that time. So, adultswim.com was under his purview. And when he joined uh, in maybe 2005, 2006, he wanted to do original games, like not show based games. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you go to a TV network website and you see a Flash game based on a show, and it's usually pretty bad. And the Adult Swim audience is, you know, male 18 to 34. They're not going to want to play some real chintzy Flash game based on C-Lab 2021. They're going to want to play something maybe with the humor and style of Adult Swim, but not not something exactly like the shows. So he uh, began trying to find original games uh, to do in Flash and then i came on and continued that <laughs> and uh found developers to do some great flash games and focused on that for a long time always sort of with the eye towards oh wouldn't it be great if we could bring some of these to the pc or wouldn't it be great if we could bring some of these to console but at the time it uh it wasn't easy to make console games and uh steam was you know just kind of starting starting out it didn't hadn't really caught fire quite yet with uh with indie indie devs so we focused on flash games for a good long time i started in the, at the end of 2007 and uh we made a lot of flash games <laughs> the goal was to do one every 2 weeks wow and we did that for a couple of years we did one flash game every 2 weeks it was crazy. I was the only producer for a lot oh of that god. stretch. That sounds exhausting. Oh my god. It really <laughs> was. It really was, but we were working with a lot of really talented developers and it was just the games we were getting in were so awesome um that it it was just a lot of fun and you know the the Steam community um and indie games started becoming a real thing and we were like, well, maybe we could bring some of these flash games to the pc and just try it and see if people are open to that uh, if they want the content that we're making so we did a test game with super house of dead ninjas which was a flash game Mm. uh, by developer megadev out of the uk and it was a game that we really loved but flash games at that time were kind of on the the, uh, decline and PC games were on the way up, so we thought, well, maybe it'll get a larger audience if we do it on the PC, and that worked out really well. It it sold well, and we continued from there, and we published. From there, we decided to do some publishing, so we found developers that had games that we liked, thought might find a good audience on Steam, and published them, and tried to uh, get them some promotion with the Adult home audience. Yeah. Because uh, that's the other thing. We, we have a TV network. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, that doesn't hurt. Um, <laughs> do you feel like that first game that landed on Steam, do you kind of feel like that was a turning point for you? Because you had mentioned you know, you're making all these Flash games and very often people associate, like let's say Nickelodeon. Back when I was a kid, you'd always see like, you watch the show, now here's the Rocket Power Flash game. Would you feel like the, when you first published and developed and published that game on PC, that was kind of the start of, yes, Adult Swim is a network, but it's also a strong publisher and development house.
1: Uh, I think that shift began when we started doing iPhone games, actually. Okay. And I, I guess I missed a step in the, in the history of Adult Swim. <laughs> uh, we did we started doing iPhone games in 2008. Um, originally there was like a separate mobile division that handled that within within Turner, and. So we brought a bunch of Flash games to iPhone, including Robot Unicorn Attack and Amateur Surgeon and Five Minutes to Kill Yourself and a bunch of uh, different titles. And those saw pretty great success on the App Store. So we started thinking, well, you know, you've got this mobile stuff and Flash games are kind of going away. And yeah, Super House of Dead Ninjas was definitely a turning point. Uh, in terms of our thinking of where the games that we were working on could go, and how big they could be in scope, yeah. And we had been doing Flash games like Super House, Dead Ninjas, and like Westerado, but by that time Flash was kind of dead. Nobody was going to <laughs> websites for Flash games anymore. So uh, our first couple releases were um, were redos of those on the PC.
0: Yeah. And you had mentioned that uh, you're not just a development house, you're also, you know, you do some publishing too. So can you kind of talk about the difference between Adult Swim as the publisher and Adult Swim as the developer? Because I think, I
1: would Mm -hmm.
0: assume very often someone will look at Adult Swim games and it's like, oh, well, they're making all those games. Like, that's all them. And they don't really realize, Mm -hmm. like, no, you are, you know, actively looking for developers to make great content and you're publishing that. So can you kind of talk about the, the difference between those two houses? Sure,
1: actually we don't do any development in house. Oh, it's really? All all develop outside developers. Okay. And because we we thought it'd be better to get development talent from other places than try to do it all ourselves. And that has that has worked out. <laughs> Definitely. Like so is
0: no one exactly like do you not have an employee who is a developer who works for Adult Swim, so it's all people you're kind of outsourcing in, in a certain sense?
1: We do have a, dev- a developer um, okay. that helps if uh, people are having trouble with any sort of Steam implementation or any sort of SDKs on mobile, but they're not making games uh, themselves. Okay. They're more helping. So we really are just just a publishing label, um, and the philosophy is very similar to Adult Swim on TV it also on TV is kind of this place where we find unique independent voices in comedy on the television side and give them a show give them airtime uh, for their creative vision and we are doing the same kind of thing on the game side finding independent developers with a unique voice unique style uh unique gameplay mechanics and helping them get to an audience Mm
0: -hmm. and as the senior games producer what's the process like of finding those people how do you kind of sift through all these different areas and find like this is an this is an adult swim game like this is that sort of game (laughs) that fits our style that fits who we are because even though you have an extremely diverse catalog uh there's this certain continuity between your games where i can almost pin like point at and be like that's from adult swim so, what kind of part do you play in that? And what's that process like?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to define what an Adult Swim game is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we take a lot of cues from the TV side and look for something with good humor or uh, things that are well made. Really, in terms of finding things, it's all about what developers or what games catch our own eyes. Um, when I was finding Flash developers, I would basically troll Flash game sites and try to find unique games and figure out who developed those and then figure out how to work with them (laughs) and uh you know that's how we uh found people like pixel jam who did dino run and dino run was one of my all-time favorite flash games at the time and i really wanted to work with them and we did a couple of games with them uh pizza city was the first one that we did we then we did mountain maniac and uh turbo granny and a Bunch of different Flash games. What a good name, too. Turbo Grand. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then that continued with iPhone. Um, I was a huge fan of Flick Kick Football, and that's uh, Pickpock out of New Zealand. And I really wanted to work with them because I thought they really got the touch and swipe mechanics of the iPhone that made those games fun. So we did Monsters Ate My Condo with them. They did Robot Unicorn Attack 2. They did Giant Boulder of Death. And it it's really about like finding... Games that we liked and developers that we thought um, could fit the right tone. And then we have a, a biz dev guy now, since we're more than one person. That's <laughs> um, good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steve G., who goes out and he's monitoring Kickstarter and TIG Source and all the forums that he can possibly monitor and uh, finding independent games in much the same way that I was finding Flash games and iPhone games. He's out there finding PC, console, and mobile games uh, from the same types of developers. It's really what catches his eye and then uh, anything that catches the rest of the team's eye. Like if we see something on the internet that we think, oh, you know, this could be a really interesting adult swim game or a really interesting team to work with, then we bring it to the larger group and uh, and discuss it.
0: Who was responsible for finding jazz punk? Cause that game is <laughs> one of the weirdest, coolest, most interesting. Like I still just go back to that game every once in a while. Like, man, this is so bizarre and cool, and there's not a lot like jazz punk. So not only totally. who found it, but also like who developed it? What where's where did that come from?
1: Uh that was all Steve. That was all Steve G. He uh he found that game. I'm not exactly I don't remember where, but he found it and brought it to the rest of the group and convinced Necrophone Games to give us a demo version and we played it as a group and thought you know this is a really unique interesting game and we got to publish this
0: have you are you continuing to work with that developer to see like is there a is there gonna be like a jazz punk sequel is there another like a jazz punk spiritual successor are you still kind of in contact with a lot with uh, that specific
1: developer, yeah, we we talked to Necrophone a little bit. Yeah, Steve G's in contact with them, and uh, we I'm sure we've asked them about yeah. things. They're they're sort of off doing their own thing, mm. which is great. Um, they're they're actually I think they just announced a PS4 version of Jazzpunk not too long ago that they're doing on their own. So um, it'd be great to work with them again. Yeah, I I love Jazzpunk, but uh, I don't think anything's in the cards for that one right now. We've we've asked, mm. and it's kind of up to them to come back absolutely
0: and you mentioned the kind of them going off and doing their own thing does that happen often where you you find these developers who might not really have an outlet yet and you give them that outlet you give them that promotion and something like duck game happens or jazz punk happens or westerado happens and then afterward they're able to kind of either self-publish do it on their own or go another route do you see that very often where you you give them these opportunities and then they go off and do uh, another game kind of on their own
1: Oh yeah, uh, that's happened often, and it's uh, you know we we've done we did flash games with Matt Thorson who later went on to do uh, Towerfall. Mm-hmm. He did a couple games for us, um, Flambeer, We did uh, Dinosaur Zookeeper on Flash with them. Oh, I and... I
0: actually had no idea. That's awesome. All right.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, and we stay in contact with all of them, but uh, and we kind of leave the door open. Like if they are looking for a publisher, we are ready to talk. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in general, yes, with, with that, we don't, we don't try to force anybody to work with us again. Yeah. We hope they do. And a lot of the developers that we do work with do end up doing a uh, second and third and fourth games with us, but, uh, but not in, in those specific uh, examples that you mentioned, although duck game is fairly new. So I hope we can do something with Landon who developed that game. Um, Again, but we'll see. Yeah, that game's great.
0: Um, And this is, this is a hard question uh, because it's going to be hard to choose, but what do you personally see as the most successful game that you've published to date? Which is, of course, me asking you to like choose your favorite child, but whether it's critically (laughs) or sales wise, what do you kind of see as like this is if we were going to take one game and say like, Hey, this is what adult swim games is able to do. Like, this is what we can do when we have like the right developer and you know, we do everything right. What, what kind of game comes to mind?
1: I would say like one of the, one of the biggest projects that uh, I'm excited about, it's not out yet, but I think will become a defining game for us is headlander. And that's the project that we're doing with double fine. Oh yeah. Um that, is just a really amazing concept and an amazing game. And if if the people listening have not seen the trailer, they should head to YouTube immediately and check that out because it's, it's fantastic. That, I think, will hopefully become our defining game. Uh, you know, I think the defining game has changed depending on what the platform is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Robot Unicorn Attack, everybody remembers that as a Flash game uh, and how big that was, how what kind of phenomenon that was <laughs> crazy it was totally crazy and i remember checking our metrics from a concert i was at with my girlfriend at the time and wife now and just like it seeing the number keep going up and up and up and i could not believe it i thought something was broken <laughs> there's no way it's getting this number of of plays uh so Defining games, Robot Unicorn Attack on Flash, definitely. I think Amateur Surgeon uh, has been a really big title for us on mobile. Jazzpunk has been the big title for us on uh, PC, outside of uh, last year when Duck Game became a, a big hit for us. And then hopefully Headlander on PC and console will be the defining game for us this year and on console platforms, which that's been really exciting too, to finally bring some of our games to consoles.
0: Yeah, and the consoles are so much more welcoming to games like that of that size and that nature. Like PS4 and Xbox One have been fantastic in doing that. So that has to be like you said, when you first started, you know, it's it was harder to get those kind of games on the consoles. But now I'm not saying it's easy, but it's definitely much more open to that. Definitely. And you were a games journalist before you joined Adults when we were talking about how you were working at EGM before we started recording. So what kind of writing did you exactly do and was it just EGM or had you also written for other outlets
1: uh i was lucky in that i grew up in the suburbs of chicago uh like two towns over from where egm was based and that was lucky actually so in 1991 i used to read i used to read video game magazines all the time mm. and Video games and computer entertainment was one of my favorites. And I had bought a copy of it while we were like driving my brother to the airport or something. And they had an article in there about fanzines, which are like, you know, video game newsletters, uh, sort of an independent press for video game oh, yeah, yeah. writers and stuff. <laughs> and it's, think of it as like today's blogs, but, you know, on, on paper and given out uh, at video stores and such. And uh, so I thought this was amazing, like an independent press. You can just like hop on a computer, write some articles, print it out, and people might read it. That's amazing. So uh, I was like 13 at the time, 14 <laughs> at the time. And so I uh, started doing that. I started doing a fanzine at the time and in the early 90s. And I would send copies of it to EGM every month. And eventually they called me and asked if I wanted to come in and interview for a job. And I said, sure, like, <laughs> you know, I had been reading EGM for years at that time and uh, loved it. And it was a huge source of news. You know, there was no Internet that you could just look at screenshots from upcoming games on. And I got a job there in 1994 when I was 17. <laughs> yeah, It and... You,
0: just, you just mentioned screenshots and just like how much I would, when I was younger, just overanalyze screenshots on a magazine and look at every little corner of it and look at it over and over again. Cause, like you said, there oh wasn't, God, yeah. there wasn't the source that you couldn't go to YouTube and be like, oh, cool, I get to see this game in action. Like, no, all I'm seeing really right now is this picture of this dude swinging a sword and man, I want this game. And like, yeah, it was so different back then.
1: Yeah. Or you'd like read about, the super Famicom or the super graphics and these Japanese games and systems. And you were like, Oh my God, can't wait for that to come out here. It's going to take so long because cartridges. and uh." (laughs) Yeah, it was, that was a crazy time. And then I got to work at EGM during that time, which was even crazier. I, I, you know, feel very lucky that they uh, gave me a job uh, at that time when I really couldn't, I was not a good writer. Like you look at some of the stuff that I did at that time is it bad. <laughs> it's so hard to look
0: back at any old writing, like anything uh, I did. Um, Cause similar to how you did like the fanzine stuff, like I was doing blog free writing. And if I look back at any of that stuff, I'm like, why did anyone ever give me a chance? Cause Whoa, like this is just <laughs> complete garbage. So yeah, I think anyone who looks back is like, I no idea why they totally. paid me anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, at the time, you know, I was in high school. So Man. when high, I got hired in the summer, and when school went back, I, you know, I wanted to finish high school, obviously. And uh, I ended up working. Uh, I would go to school during the day, and then I would go to EGM, which wasn't far from my house um, at night and work until like 10. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. That didn't work out for very long, honestly. <laughs> so I ended up leaving. And doing some freelance writing on the side. I wrote for Intelligent Gamer magazine uh, back when that was a thing. Intelligent Gamers Fusion was a uh, was the magazine counterpart of that. Um, and then they they had some holiday needs at EGM again. So I went back, did some more stuff. Because remember, the, I don't know if you used to read EGM back in the yeah. 90s, but they were like 300-page books. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. they were novels. <laughs> Yeah, around the holidays when you know a lot of uh, video game publishers at that time were advertising, they had to also do you know exactly that same page count in content. So I worked a lot of holiday issues, and my claim to fame or claim to infam- infamy is that I'm quoted on the box for Bubsy 3D <laughs> on the PlayStation.
0: Oh man, I would hang that on my fridge. That's great.
1: <laughs> now at the time, EGM. Uh, you may have noticed this it was never really negative in previews mm-hmm. so i so writing i had to write a two-page preview of bubsy 3d and that game is terrible yeah it's not a good game how do you write like even any words on that game <laughs> <laughs> so so i put words on a page and didn't really think much about it and then like two or three months later saw that I was quoted in the advertising for it, and I was like, oh my god, that's terrible. And then the game came out, and I was quoted on the front of the box. Oh. I was like, oh my god. Wait, what no. was the quote? It's it's one of those pull quotes that has a lot of ellipses in it. <laughs> it was like, Bubsy 3D dot 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 climbs back to the top of the yarn ball dot 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 something else. Like I don't even really remember what it said. I don't want to remember what he said. <laughs> yeah, by the end of it, it's I like, don't... that's not even close to what I meant. Like, that is just, you
0: left out, like, three paragraphs in those ellipses.
1: Yeah, I tried to be very, like, fa- very faint, pra- not even praise. Yeah. I used, like, very neutral words when describing it. But they found something to quote, so there you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, It's interesting now because, you know, we talk about writing for magazines, and at this point, you know today, I feel like Game Informer is one of the one of the only, if you know, one of the few like very viable gaming magazines to write for. And even today, it's as a freelancer, it can be difficult to find a lot of websites to do writing for. Just the nature of the industry and streaming and YouTube and you know, yeah. it's 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 very different now. So this is something I want to do, uh Definitely ask you about Adult Swim when you're looking for games to publish. Uh, is there ever any kind of mind paid to well this game would be good for someone to play on YouTube or this game is very quote unquote streamable because I talked to um Eric Smusen who made uh, Disco Dodgeball and he knew that like I it, and it's really awesome it's it's a really good yeah. game to play on YouTube or stream and uh Ian Stocker who made Escape Goat and Escape Goat 2 and all those games he's very much conscious of his next game being something that he wants people to be able to of course he wants to be himself and develop what with the different tools that he's good at but it's important to him that you know if i want to succeed i need to adapt to the times so is there ever any thought paid to that with something like duck game where you're like well these games are popular on streams with multiple people we should get into that business is that something you were concerned about
1: Oh, uh, with duck game no um not originally anyway mm-hmm. when we were first um looking at duck game we thought hey this is a this is a really really fun uh fun game at the time is on ouya and we had a lot of fun with it in the office and thought oh you know this this would be a really fun game like if we added multiplayer we weren't really thinking about oh yeah people stream it too i mean we may have thought about it as like a secondary thing but we were really looking at the fun of it at first but now yeah we definitely look at games um with an eye towards how streamable they may be is
0: that bizarre to you because you know you you started this egm back in the 90s like you were in those early days of when you know games writing was around and on magazines so is that is is it something that you're just now completely okay with like this is the way the industry is or is there some part of you that's like you kind of miss how games used to be covered
1: it's different though like you know i used to and i'm sure you used to too like spend hours just like looking at still screenshots yeah. of games and like imagining what they would play like
0: yep
1: (laughs) box art meant so much you look at a box art like that looks cool i should get this exactly exactly and now people can watch video footage of these games and get opinions from everybody like uh on how well things play like i think it's great it's fantastic i would not want to go back to staring at still images (laughs) of games i do have a lot of fondness for that time but i think it's better now i think it's way better like you can watch as much of a game as you want before before you play it and you know if if you're a younger player who doesn't have a lot of disposable income for games and you have to wait until birthdays and christmas to to get a game a new game then uh you know you're going to be a lot more sure of your purchases yeah so no longer are you gonna get stuck with uh Back to the Future for the NES or uh, oh, something like that. All those
0: classics, yeah. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's so bizarre now because I, I said this before, I feel like I watch people play more video games than I actually play video games, which is just so weird where I just spend a lot of time like, oh, like Giant Bomb is playing this and I like listening to those guys and you end up just watching a game instead of actually Playing the just the mountain of games that I need to play. There's so many things where I'm like, I have a list, a running list. Where it's like I should be this and this and this, and instead I'm sitting on my computer for hours just watching people play games. <laughs> it's such a different industry. It's so strange. When I was first coming up and really wanting to, you know, be an editor for Gamespot or be an editor for IGN or Game Informer it what the world I thought I would jump into is just so different now. It's just a very different reality where video is so much more mm. being a personality. But I agree. it's There's definitely benefits to that. And it gives you uh, a lot more to look at before you make a purchasing decision. Um, yeah. So when you first went to Adult Swim, was at that point, had you grown tired of writing about games? Or was it much more about Adult Swim offering you an opportunity that was just, more appealing and too sweet to pass up at the time.
1: Well, growing up, I always wanted to work at cartoon network. Okay. I thought, Oh man, that would be so cool. And just like I thought, Oh man, wouldn't it be great to work at Nintendo or a video game company? Um, but I, I can't program and I can't draw and you know, <laughs> what am I going to do with <laughs> those places? So, uh, I wrote about games instead, <laughs> but, uh, then I, I, in 2004 I left EGM and went to an anime magazine which was another of uh, my hobbies at the time. Yeah. Uh, and did that for a little while and then the adult swim thing came up and I loved adult swim like like I said and I also kind of wanted to get back into games and games writing doesn't really make you a whole lot of money. It sure doesn't. Like there aren't a lot of like career video game journalists. There's a, there's a few um Andy Eddy, I don't know if you know that guy. Yeah. Uh, old timer. Uh, he's great. And I've, you know, his magazine was where I found out about fanzines and, yeah. you know, part of the reason I'm, I'm here, but, uh, so, uh, working on the other side was always something that I kind of wanted to do. And starting out at adult swim, a brand that I already loved. And, uh, I could see that they were doing original flash games and I thought that was super interesting. And, the game style of games that they were doing was, at the time was so interesting. I really wanted to like help with that and see, you know, where we could go with that. So, I don't miss writing. I don't miss writing about video games, really. I mean, it's it's yeah. I, I'm much much happier working with developers on making games. Than, yeah. Than I was writing about games. Although a lot of it is similar because the role that I'm in. Uh, I still can't program, still can't draw, so uh I'm helping developers with things like uh gameplay design level design mechanics um monetization on mobile things like that mm-hmm. uh instead, and that's a lot more fun it's like it's almost like I'm reviewing the game as it's being made <laughs> and actually getting to influence. The uh the design, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You're so like abundantly aware of, you know, that world because you've been playing those games, you've been critiquing those games on things that worked and didn't work. So you're like, hey, if I was yeah. going to review this, I would give this high mark, so you should do this. So yeah, it's you're kind of perfect for that role. So was it initially hard for you to transition from that writing work to actually working for a studio? Uh, and this is honestly, this is something I would like to know, because I recently I haven't you know, fully announced it, but I am actually like stepping away from freelancing for a time because I'm going to be working for a studio and it's something awesome. I would like to know. So kind of what was that transition process like? And, uh, additionally, did it give you a greater appreciation for how games are made?
1: Definitely gave me a greater appreciation for how games are made. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't difficult though at all. Yeah. I, I looked at it as, you know, I'm reviewing a game as it's being made and I'm trying to help help this developer make something that's amazing or as close as we can possibly get to that. And it was easy, It was yeah. an easy transition. It's fun too. <laughs> now, <laughs> so it, encouraging. It's, it's sort of different because you're sort of writing commentaries about design and mechanics and stuff sort of in a vacuum where nobody else is going to read. I mean, the developer is going to read this stuff and talk to you about it, but nobody else is. And a lot of being a, A games journalist a lot of the fun is uh you know writing something and then having your audience respond to it and maybe even starting a dialogue in the comments section of of a piece you know and uh so that's sort of the fun with that but there isn't that fun to be had with uh with game production but it's it's fine not dealing with commenters is fine too
0: yeah that sounds great actually that sounds like one of the biggest benefits (laughs) I do my reviews
1: recently I'm just like I usually
0: don't read the comments, but sometimes when there's a, enough of a buzz on like a GameSpot review where you look and you're like, oh, there are 500 ang- angry people just saying stuff about a game they've never played. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I won't miss that. Um, but it is something I've been thinking about because it's – here's a question for you because you, you had mentioned that you don't really have an interest of going back to games writing and writing reviews and doing a lot of stuff. But let's say suddenly tomorrow that all flips around and you're like, you know what? I want to write about games again. I want to freelance. I want to work full time. Do you think you would look at games differently when reviewing them now that you've been this embedded in the world of actually producing them? Do you think you'd be harsher? Do you think it'd be easier? Do you think it'd be the same? Like how do you think that transition would go going back to it?
1: I think it would be hard to review games again. Um the style of stuff that I like to read and probably would like to write is more you know, talking about features of games that I think are important or interesting rather than Critique a whole game <laughs> like, yeah like i uh i like to I like outlets that stay positive on things, and I don't really like to dwell on some of the negative points that uh a lot of people in games writing seem to <laughs> want to dwell on yeah so that would be diff that would be different i would I would probably stay on a much more positive end of things and there are some outlets i i follow where uh like i really like game explain on youtube i'm a a big nintendo fan so i've i follow them on youtube and they do videos critiquing trailers and they get into the minutiae of different things or they like see things they're split seconds in a trailer and they analyze it and i think that kind of thing is interesting because then you know everybody even in the press the press and consumers are kind of watching trailers and things at the same time offering like a, an analysis of a trailer to me would be something like, it'd be really interesting to me as a reader or viewer. Um, so I would try to do something like that. I don't know. Like, yeah. I think at this that's, point, that's yeah, the sort of content that yeah. I like
0: going a different route than what you've done for so long. I could totally understand that. Cause it's something where yeah. uh, once I take this step away from freelancing and get more into a different side of things, I'm like, I, would I want to go back? Is it cool for me to go back? Like once you work for someone that makes games, are people going to look at you differently if you jump right back into the you know, quote unquote, objective?
1: I will say, and get ready for this, because then if if you're working on a game, or if you're going to be working in the studio on a game for many months, and you will see the inside of a project, and then when that thing comes out, and you look at how people respond to it, or write about it you'll have a really different opinion of how that whole thing goes and i think consumers in general have a different opinion on how long things take and how much of a lift certain features in a game might be and they don't know and yeah if you're working on a game then maybe you know and (laughs) i mean you you read those opinions you're like yeah we couldn't have done that that would have added (laughs) six months to the schedule (laughs) yeah the budget wasn't there i
0: mean even now as like a you know a a writer it's i still have that reaction because i'm when i was growing up and you know one of those you see a game that you're excited for and it gets a low score and you get angry and you start commenting and being an asshole uh now that i'm actually the writer where it's like why did this review come out a week late like these people just suck at their job it's like no, actually the outlet got the game late and then they had to send it to me and then it got lost in the mail. Like there's always these circumstances yep. surrounding it. So I think it'll be very similar to that once I kind of take on that role. But yeah, it's definitely something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, so in 2016, you mentioned uh, Double Fine game that yep. uh, you guys are working on that are really big for you. But what else does Adult Swim games kind of have on the docket that you're excited about?
1: Oh my God, we have so much. This, ch- this is your chance to promote it. For 2016, yeah, on uh on Steam and console, we're doing um, Rise and Shine. With us, uh, I I keep messing up the name of their team because it's so long. It's like the super mega awesome. I don't even <laughs> the name. Of it. I'm not directly working on that game, but Rise and Shine is this really awesome platforming shooter puzzle game that's really unique. It's uh, it looks great. It looks really great. Uh Ghost Song is this awesome Metroid-like game um rain world death's gambit small radios big televisions desync wasted headlander like we're bringing all of these games to pc and console and then there's the mobile stuff uh that i'm working on too that we haven't announced we actually we just released pocket Morty's today or yesterday um and then we're doing a bunch more games on mobile too so we've got anywhere from a dozen to like 12 to 20 games in production right. at the moment so there's a lot to get that's excited a lot of video games yeah and a, some of it not announced yet which is uh some of that stuff is super exciting Every, so everything basically everything, everything adult yep. have games in 2016 <laughs> is exciting it's that's all gonna be great excited <laughs> <for it. laughs> um, when you're looking to promote any of that stuff
0: at this point uh i don't know how big of a hand you have actually in you know, reaching out to outlets and stuff like that but since you've been kind of embedded in that team for so long at this point do you feel like you would get a greater return if you focused more of your energy on getting the attention of streamers and youtubers than actually going to gamespot ign and other outlets like that
1: well um yeah i don't do the marketing directly we uh we have marketing um, uh people and pr people sean baptiste uh is our our marketing guru uh at adult at adult Swim. Um, but we think streamers and YouTubers are super important. Yeah. Like it, it definitely can't be, uh, their importance is, is amazing. Like they really help get the word out and reviews are good too. Obviously with the traditional outlets, uh, their stuff is, is super important because that's where a lot of people hear about these games.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And a lot of streamers are getting their news from polygon or GameSpot or giant bomb. So you definitely want, that coverage too but it's great when the community takes a game and really runs with it yeah uh and we saw that with duck game uh, for sure yeah people loved that game saw that with west Roto as well and jazz punk to an extent too and so yeah in aggregate streamers and youtubers are super important probably bigger than traditional outlets but I think traditional outlets are just are important too. Everything sort of feeds off itself. That's to
0: say, it's almost a step by step process in a way, where like you said, the traditional outlets are covering that, and the streamers say, "Hey, like that looks cool," or "That game got a nine out of ten. Maybe we should look at it." Uh, And I know, know, going back to Escape Goat Two, when Ian was talking to me on this podcast, he had mentioned like the difference between the the sales I saw when IGN and GameSpot reviewed my game to when Game Grumps played my game on a YouTube video. Like, it wasn't even close. But maybe Game Grumps would have never played that if GameSpot hadn't given that an 8 out of 10 or something like that. So yeah, maybe it's one of those. It's it's a handshake and it's something that needs to go through that process of traditional media in order to get to YouTube and streamers and everything like that.
1: It's... Yeah, I think so. When you see uh, like a a streamer with a big following streaming your game you definitely notice an uptick in interest in the game mm. on uh on twitter and uh you know it definitely equates to sales yeah too so
0: totally different world it's so weird to me still i i feel like i should be right in that like understanding it but i'm still like getting my feet wet in streaming and streaming in youtube and really fully understanding it um it's and... kind of
1: weird too because you would think like someone's showing your whole game how are the people who are going to watch <laughs> We're exactly. watching it. Oh, Why are they going to be excited about it? But it's just like when we were looking at magazines and you know soaking up all that information we could and getting excited about those games. That's exactly the same thing that's going on. And so
0: yeah, I agree. Because for me, I will see someone. Let's say I see Giant Bomb play two hours of like an indie game or something like that. I'm like, okay, I feel like I kind of got enough out of that. But most people aren't that way. They see it. They see a lot of that game. I'm like, no, no, I need this. I need to play this game. And yeah, it's just it's it's those screenshots for a new era. And, totally. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see. It's it's fun to see this industry evolve. And uh, you also have a podcast. I mentioned that earlier. You were a co host of Player One Podcast, so I know that has way more episodes than this podcast <laughs> has. So how long have you been doing that? Who are some of the co hosts uh, to kind of tell me about it?
1: Yeah, we've done four hundred and seventy nine episodes. Oh my god! And that's <laughs> uh, once a week. I think we've missed maybe two or three weeks in the nine and a half years that we've been doing. I was show? about to say, is it like once a day?
0: Because, God damn.
1: <laughs> it's been a long time. Our first episodes were before the launch of the Wii and oh the God. PlayStation 3.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. That feels so <laughs> long ago.
1: Yeah. I was. Uh, so, I was still a, a journalist, quote unquote, at that time. I uh, did interviews with people who were in line for the uh, PS3 and the Wii, and... That's still like an episode four or five of the Player One podcast. You can listen to those. It's kind of crazy to listen back to. Yeah. But, but my co-hosts are Greg Seward and Phil Theobald and Mike Phillips also, who uh, has been inter- an intermittent host. And uh, Greg and Phil are guys that I used to work with at EGM. And they're also former games journalists that no longer are in that world. Um, Phil is a teacher and Greg is working at a studio out in, uh, Nova Scotia making games, um, for, for phones and the web and such. Uh, so when we started the podcast, we were like, well, at the time we were living in different parts of the country, but we still wanted to keep in touch and what's a good way to do that and still talk about video games. Well, we could hop on Skype, record it and put it out there and see if people want to listen to it yeah <laughs> so that's what we started doing we were really inspired by shows like one up yours uh and the CAG cast uh which were doing it at that time in 2005 2006 so we started doing it we just grabbed uh our socom headsets plugged them into the pc <laughs> turned on audacity or GarageBand, band and started recording and uh yeah we have done it every week since then this is a weird story so now i realize
0: how i had heard of player one podcast because back in 2013 um i'm not sure if it was you were another member of your podcast crew but i'm pretty sure you guys were there this is pax east and you were talking to patrick klepek oh yes Now here's the crazy part I interrupted your podcast. That's right. You did. I'm that guy. So <laughs> not kidding. That was me. So
1: <laughs>
0: this is, it just came back to me. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I made an idiot of myself. And I remember this now. Okay. So I was still, I was, I mean, I was, I had not written, I'd not been paid to write yet once. <laughs> and I, I can't believe this is, I can't believe that's that. crazy. Okay, it's crazy. <laughs> so I went by and I was with um one of my best friends and my roommate at the time from college. And we went by and I'm like, Oh my God, that's Patrick Olympic. Like, and you know, I've been, just you know, looking up this guy forever. I've been reading him forever, and I was like, I'm just, I'm, you know, it was too nervous at the time. Like, I, I don't want to, you know, introduce myself. And we're in the press room, and my friend Sam looks at me. And he's like, Look, just give me your business card. Just talk to him. It's you're, otherwise, you're gonna regret it. I'm like, All right, totally. And I came over and you know, very nervously came up to him and said hi and introduced myself and you know, kind of thanked him for everything. And at that moment, I did not realize you guys were podcasting until yeah. someone emails me later saying like. If you listen to this podcast you completely jump in and interrupt it and i'm like oh <laughs> i'm such an asshole i felt so bad so this is first off i can totally apologize to you now for bumping on your <laughs> podcast um and it's just so crazy because the first ever you know the the reason i got paid to write was because of that moment because my first ever feature landed on kotaku and it featured quotes from patrick klepik because oh, wow. i emailed him later he remembered me and agree to talk to me, so this is the weirdest full circle shit I have ever been a part of, and it's all coming back to me now so um that's that, amazing that guy that goofy kid who interrupted you uh is now interviewing you, so this is so unbelievably weird that's uh, pretty awesome yeah i
1: I totally remember that,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah it was. It was a goofy thing to
1: do and guess what <laughs> I don't that. So yeah, pa- Patrick I've known Patrick forever like yeah. uh he used to be on this IRC channel Vidgames which a lot of people from the press uh end up uh coming out of and yeah I've known him for a long 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 time.
0: He's, he's a great. super great guy and uh, he's scheduled to be eventually I'm talking to him on this podcast so it'll be really goofy cool. to bring that story back up. Uh, <laughs> cuz oh my god I almost forgot that happened until this very moment. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> So at the end of these podcasts, uh, normally I kinda take a moment just to give kind of one last piece of advice. Wait, uh, are we at uh, the
1: end here? We can go for another you can go for another half hour. I mean we could,
0: yeah. No, we could talk all day um <laughs> about me completely embarrassing myself at PAX. but like <laughs> I'm still just completely flabbergasted by that. Uh but yeah, during the end of these podcasts, normally I try to give like one last tip for people. Um, because sure. in, you I'm sure you've had a hundreds of emails at this point where when you're in the games industry everyone's like how do I get in there or how do I get a development job or how do I get this so this is kind of a good opportunity to give one thing that you can actively do right now and other than my advice of you should totally just this actually you know, this is going to be my new advice is if you're at an event for some reason let's say uh, you get in because you write for a blog and um, they'll give you a press pass for some reason I should have not had a press pass I was not writing for a big enough website uh, but if you do get that opportunity and you see someone you respect or you see, see see someone who you know who you'd like to talk to, just go over there, shaky hands and all and jittery voice and just do it. Uh because Definitely. I if I wouldn't have done that and if I would have just been, you know, my normal at the time very, you know, self conscious self and not talked, I wouldn't have gotten to know Patrick. I wouldn't have gotten my first feature on Gotaku, and maybe I would have never written for GameSpot and IGN and Pace and all these different places. So it seems it, it's going to be nerve wracking uh, because to us, uh, especially when you're, you haven't been you know, published on a big site yet, those people are celebrities. I um, mm-hmm. that same event, I saw Tim Schaefer and almost passed. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's Tim Schafer. Uh, but just do it. Just introduce yourself. Just get a business card. Just tell them how much you appreciate their work because no one's going to be like, wow, this guy's like, they might think you're a weirdo. That's fine. But they're not going to like push you away. Almost everyone I've talked to and done that too. Uh, has totally. has been extremely great. And um, when I went to E3 later that year, uh, I somehow ended up at uh, Michael Pachter's party, and that's where I first met Lauren Lanning And he was a podcast guest here, so it's amazing <laughs> how that stuff just kind of happens. Um, as long as you're genuine, as long as you want to talk to people, just just do it. That is my weird tip for this week because it also got me uh this interview right here. So, uh, Chris, if you happen <laughs> to have anything over the course, you know, you'd like to share with people,
1: that'd be great. Sure. I mean, I, I think the world is a lot more open now than it used to be like for people who are just starting out. I mean, you can produce video content super easily yeah. or write about video games super easily and get started pretty easily you're not going to get paid for that stuff maybe at first but you can get your feet wet with it right and whether you're somebody who's into making content about video games or you want to make video games find a place where you think you can start contributing and do that thing and you know i was talking about game explain or like videos that analyze uh parts of trailers and things like there are a lot of people who just mirror trailers on YouTube and that's not doing anything for anybody. Mm -hmm. But if you can watch a trailer and go frame by frame and point things out, if you're like an expert on a series or something, or if you love Kojima games, you love metal gear or want to do a playthrough with your commentary on that. I mean, you should do that thing um, and put it out there and see what people think and adjust from there and do it again and just keep, keep trying At it, and you know, if if you've if you've got something, people will notice, and uh, you'll you'll be a lot happier. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and there's I think there's types of content that people haven't even like discovered yet. There's new thing like video is still it's still booming. There's still a lot of different ways to do things, and I have you know it it, it's going to be hard to break out, like you said. Maybe you're not getting paid for a while, but there's also cases Mm -hmm. where I have a good friend, Jake Valdino, who just started a YouTube channel, and it has like. 1.5 million subscribers in like a year so you never know if you're passionate about it and like you said if you're an expert you'll find something to do and you'll find something that no one else has done or no one else has done as well as you know you can do it it's totally yeah it's it's never been better to enter the video area of this where once again of course it's not everything is going to just break out and be amazing but if you're having fun with it and you do as a passion project, you never know what's going to happen. So yeah.
1: Totally. And if you can find an audience, I mean, you know, even if it's 100 people or less, yep. like, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Like, you know, I, when we started doing the Player One podcast, we only had a couple of hundred listeners and it was great. Mm. I was like, this is all I need. Like, 100 people listen to our show. Like, that's amazing. Like, that's a room full of people.
0: Exactly, and you
1: think about it in that in terms of that, and you know, if you have like thousands of YouTube subscribers, think about all of those people in a room. It's kind of gets kind of crazy. It really (laughs) is. (laughs) Yeah, especially if
0: you're doing like creative content, like you said, not just mirroring trailers, because then you're putting yourself out there. And if people like it, people like it. And I mean, it's the same with this podcast, where for me, I went in going like, if I get ten people a week, that's okay, because it's like it's a passion project. And then people started listening, and I was getting like emails and tweets and it's like whoa like this is yeah. fun it's so much fun to do something you love and have other people love it too exactly uh, and yeah it's
1: and if you're a game developer and want to pitch a game to adult swim then uh <laughs> <laughs> you can do that too yeah you can add to that <laughs> awesome 2016 lineup where every game's going to be good and get a 10 out of 10 that's right yeah yeah everything... we, have, we have uh we have a link on our website at games.adultswim.com and we're, we're uh going to redesign that soon it, it oddly focuses on the flash games don't pay attention to that part (laughs) but uh yeah you can i think there's a link to pitch us a game on there if there's not um you you can tweet at adult swim games and uh they'll help you out but yeah if you're a developer listening to this pitch us a game we look at all kinds of things we're looking for uh you know all sorts of games we hopefully, work with who are studios of one person and, and more. So hopefully it's your good. game is as
0: good as Bubsy 3D. Like that's really <laughs> the benchmark where it's like as long as you can reach that, you'll get a really good quote in the front of the box.
1: It's, if it's better than Bubsy 3D, you know I'm gonna love it. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> just immediately that's your benchmark. How many Bubsy 3Ds out of ten? It's just yeah. Uh, it's... <laughs> I want to make a new website. All right, uh, Chris, thank you so much for spending this last hour bullshitting with me and realizing that we semi do know each other uh in a very weird way (laughs) um i really appreciate it and i uh just subscribed to your podcast the other day so i'm also looking forward to maybe scrolling through the archives and seeing if i can find myself on there so i'm
1: sure you you can (laughs) yeah it's it's still up there yeah thanks for having me on this is this has been great i'm up for chatting about games anytime absolutely I'll definitely invite you back on
0: sometime. So once again, thanks for coming on. And uh, thanks everyone for listening to the first episode of 2016. There are, I'm doing four podcasts this weekend just because I've been away and suddenly everyone's like all at once. Like, how about this weekend? And I'm like, let's fucking do it. So expect a lot of podcasts in the coming weeks. So thanks again. And hopefully you tune back in next week for the next episode of the 1099.